0: lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: We've got a great show today. We've got a motivational keynote speaker, Dr. Andrew Whitman, and he's written a book, Ground Zero Leadership, CEO of You. That's such a scary thought to think that I have to be the CEO of me. Um, Today, Andrew's going to talk with us. He's the founder of the Mental Toughness Training Center, a leadership consultancy specializing in peak performance, team dynamics, resolving conflict in the workplace as well as writing his book, he teaches you strategies on how you take control of your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes, and your actions. And you know, when things are going really well in life, and everything is going your way, it's a lot easier to be focused and have drive and make things happen. But when you go under pressure, It gets a lot harder. And Andrew's got a background including a Marines Corp infantry combat veteran, and a former federal agent. So he he has a great understanding about how that what happens when you go under pressure. Thank you so much for being with me today.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited.
1: Well, I'm excited too because when I picked your book up, and I the second chapter, you talk about how the brain works, and I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) he's he's resonating in my core because you know turn your brain on to get your game on is a book I wrote, and it's all about you know it's based on the belief that everything you do, you don't do, and how well you do it, it all depends on how that brain's wiring and firing.
2: A hundred percent. Like I always like, and if you you hang around with me long enough, Lee, you'll hear me say it a hundred times. But you can't fight your biology, right? So no. you've got to make sure the machine is running at optimal if you want to have all the great uh, benefits of it.
1: Well, and I think it starts with 11 million bits. Talk to us about that.
2: Yeah. So, like in the last decade, decade and a half, through uh, functional magnetic resonance imaging and stuff, we started to figure out in neuroscience that that the brain. Takes in 11 million bits of information per second through everything—through what you see, what you hear, what you taste, you smell, you touch. You're just vacuuming up this massive amounts of data, 11 million bits of information per second. But what they found out is that only 126 bits of information goes to your conscious mind for action. So I like to say that we, you know, we suck up information at die or at uh, broadband speed, but we operate. On dial-up speed. Remember the old, you had to wait for like a half an hour to download a 30-minute video or 30-second video, right? So that's how the brain works. And so the, the, the big question is then, because we're, we're sifting through all this information every second almost instantaneously, and we're only picking a, like 0.01% of the information to act on, the question really is, is how do our brains pick that 0.01%?
1: And that's a really good question, and you know, and I come at it a little bit differently because I've, the 11 million bits is a piece of data I I talk with clients about, and I say, you know, the rest of it, where does it go? It goes into your subconscious. Correct. And that's. And that's why the work that I do with neurofeedback and neuromodulation can help create stabilization because it works at a subconscious level. But I can remember, do you know, have you ever gone to sleep at night? And you think, okay, when I get up in the morning, I'm gonna make that decision. And you get up in the morning and that decision's made. That's the subconscious.
2: Right. And you so that's and this is where like that's where habits are, that's the intuition. That all operates outside, and that's all your, uh, your underlying programming, if you will. So all your underlying beliefs are all in that subconscious, and you're, and you can't fight con- this is why people have struggle with like weight loss and stuff, like that, where they're trying to muscle a habit, take their willpower of that 126 bits and fight against the 10.9 million bits to try and overcome a current habit. Uh, and what you have to do is use that 126, to build a new habit and move that over into the subconscious so it's running like a program. Like if you look at your iPhone, right, all those apps are going on in the background. What you want to do is that you want to create a new habit and make it an app that's running in the background so you're not trying to fight that. And, as again, you're trying to fight your biology if you're trying to willpower something. That's why people have the yo-yo thing with the diets.
1: And cigarette smoking. I mean, I've had clients yeah. that they, it's, they've accomplished such amazing things, but they cannot walk away from tobacco. Right. So h- how do you pick the right 126?
2: Well, and this is the thing. You got to And this is where, I, where my training, where I train my clients and my coaching clients and my corporate clients is that we are be very deliberate with what are we picking. So if you're at default mode, your brain will pick. Whatever you think, you feel, your opinion is, which is a soft word for belief, or what your attitude is towards something. So if you think like, oh, it's Blue Monday, your brain goes and says, oh, we think it's Blue Monday. So your genius brain will go to work and filter all the information and find the exact 126 bits of information that confirm that, that today is going to be a Blue Monday. And it will literally discard any information or facts that would go against your genius assessment of this is a Blue Monday. Right, so Look. you, you have to pick you, which, which direction are you wanted to point your 126 in.
1: Well, you make a really good point. You know, when you talk about the default mode, that's actually a network in the brain. And it's a network that I train a lot for people that have anxiety. It ties into connection to self. Um, so how you do get that brain wiring and firing in the right way is really important. And I think that sometimes we're our biggest enemies. We stand on our own feet You know, it's because of our limiting beliefs that we have.
2: Absolutely, 100 percent. And because that's really what that's why the title of the book is Ground Zero Leadership CEO of You, because ultimately at the end of everything, the bottom line is it's your life. It's your body. It's your brain. It's your emotions. It's your mind. It's your will. So it's up to you to do with it what you want.
1: (laughs) Well, you talk about that in your book and and you know you talk about how how can you change that um, and you I, I think I, I remember reading something oh it's actually very simple and I was kind of chuckling to myself going I hope so I hope so <laughs> so is it
2: no absolutely it's and here's what it is is you just you have to make the decision of who do you want to be what life do you want to have and it begins there see most people uh since we were brought up, right? And it's nobody's fault, right? We're not blaming anybody. It's just how it's kind of been passed down when we run on this default mode that all of our, you know, our parents or the neighbors or our little league coaches, the teachers, you know, the Sunday school, the ministers, the imams, the rabbis, whatever, those people, they all just, and they all mean very well and they're trying to do their best. But we just kind of have this default mode of it's our lot in life. We don't, we're not very, uh, I want to say construction minded, right? I want to architecturally minded. I want to design and build my life the way I want it, right? But we are never taught that. We just kind of like, this is our lot in life. We take what comes, you know, K sera, sera life is like a box of chocolates to quote Forrest Gump, right? You never know which one you're going to get. And we kind of have that underlying. And maybe it's not articulated, but we're not very calculated in saying, this is what I want my life to look like. This is the career that I want. This is the relationship, the type of relationship that I want. This is the, you know, the enjoyment I want to have. This is how I want to spend my days, right? We don't take time thinking about that. And it's not really taught from the time we're little. We're just kind of in survival mode.
1: Well, and I think if nothing over the last few months, I've learned that sometimes you just need to pause and take some time and do a reset. And I think we go so fast and so furious and that we think that's a good thing to do. And it's
0: not.
2: No, I, and that's the good – that's the uh, with the silver lining or whatever I said. This is the good thing about what's been going on is that it gives us a chance. We have an excuse now. We don't have social and peer pressure to keep that crazy pace going, to keep up with everybody. And people don't look down on you now to take – that you do take time and that you do reset and that you do take an honest assessment of what's important, right? I'm going to – I want to prioritize my commitments, Not just because of, it's you know, so many things have just been added to our life by, like, we didn't even, it just kind of, like, happened, right? Like, in the pace, it just kind of happened. And this is a great time to, you know, do what I call triage, right? I'm going to decide what's actually important and what I can let go.
1: And sometimes that's really hard to do. You know, I work with clients, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And I'll say, so tell me the three best things about you. Mm. And it just kind of goes quiet. And sometimes I'll even have to say, Well, you're really funny. You have a great sense of humor. I can think of one already. Right. But it, can, it, it can be really hard for us to recognize our own goodness and just let those limiting opinions and beliefs hold us back.
2: Right. And, I, and you know, and that's it, it's a tough thing. When I say things are simple, that doesn't mean they're easy. Right? This isn't rocket science to how to get to where you accept yourself, where you love yourself, but it's hard work to do it. You have to like be persistent about it, and we know you – know, you know how the brain works. I'm not telling you anything. You don't know. You're the expert, not me, but the reticular activating system, that RAS, that little piece of our brain about the size of our pinky – you know, near you know where our spine is. That's the thing that regulates sleep and wakefulness and what we focus on. And that's really the piece of hardware that that filters the 11 million bits to the 126. That's the, the hardware that does it. But the interesting thing is they found out that that little piece the RAS cannot tell the difference between real or factual events and synthetic events. Which is why, like, you could have a dream at night and it feel even though you're bending the rules of physics, it seems 100% real to you in the dream. But then you wake up and you're like, oh, I can't even hardly remember that thing. That was just crazy. I don't even know why I would have thought it was so real. That's the RAS at work. The beauty of this thing is is that it helps us because when you begin to say good things about yourself, even if it feels like it's not true at the time, if you keep saying that over and over again, you keep programming yourself, eventually your RAS says, oh, this must be true, and it will see it as a real event. And then you will become that person who is funny and happy and fulfilled If you stay with it long enough and you program that thing to say, this is how we are, it'll actually get on board. And I think that's just one of the greatest parts of our brain that is kind of just overlooked.
1: I agree with you. And I think, you know, affirmations are so powerful. And if you want to go Tony Robbins, we'll go incarnations. But telling yourself positive statements about yourself over and over and over and saying it out loud, hearing it really does. I mean, we process on an auditory level in our brain. We process on a visual level. The more involved and integrated that processing can become, the more we're going to believe it.
2: Absolutely, which is why, like, and I'll tell my clients, you know, let's write out. So, first, I'm having them write the affirmations. Then I'm going to have them not just say them out loud but record them into their, uh, you know, their phone on a voice memo. And then at night, we're going to play that thing at night while you're sleeping so that that subconscious does soak up all that information. So that information is still going in. And so I'm going to bombard my 11 million bits and point them in the direction that I want, right? And that one that helps me and not one that hurts me.
1: Absolutely. And I think that being able to own it, and I like that you have them write it first and then record it in their voice because they're owning it on every level. right. And when you hear it, I use affirmations. Back in October of 2019, a tornado took down my office and destroyed everything in it. And what got me through that was the affirmation, I will come back bigger and better and stronger. And I I did. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I was saying, saying that every day in the beginning.
2: But it worked. Right. You got to say it even. And this is the part people like, well, it doesn't feel like. And part of my uh, part of my training is that we distinguish the difference between fact and truth. Right. Because because witnesses swear to tell the truth. And this is where I learned this in law enforcement. Like when you're doing a case, witnesses would swear to tell the truth. But witnesses, they're not lying, but they're telling me their perception of what they saw. And you could have two witnesses see the exact same event and tell two completely different stories. You're like, there's no way they were standing next to each other. But what we put into evidence are facts, just independent, right, objects that are neutral. So uh, what we want to do is use truth and fact to our advantage. So it might sound like this isn't factual when I say that I'm stronger, I'm faster, I'm better. But what happens is the more that you say, your reticular activating system keeps sending that message to your brain and subconsciously, You begin to, your brain will say, hey, this is where we're better, we're stronger, we're faster. And you'll start to take behavioral actions, unbeknownst to you, that moves you to be better, faster, and stronger. It's almost, I want to say, like magic, but that's what it is. It feels like this must be like magic, right? Because I don't feel like I'm doing anything other than just saying this over and over again, right? And But that's what happens is your brain, it's so powerful, is that even under the surface, you'll begin to do behaviors that take you where you want to go.
1: Well, and the brain's nothing but networks and hubs. You know, if yep. if you're if you're going down the same pathway, you're reinforcing it. The brain has the you know the philosophy: use it or lose it. If you're not using it, those pathways will close down. I mean, it's it's so crazy. The brain's not fully developed until you're in your mid to late twenties. I know, right? And then it plateaus (laughs) around forty, and we have to keep working it. And we, you, you make such a great point. We got to work it on all levels.
2: Yeah, and this, you know, because I'm, I want to get the most out of life that I could possibly get. (laughs) So, I, you know, I could just sit on my social media feed and be in fear or, you know, get depressed by looking at the news. Or instead, I want to take like, again, deliberate action. The things that'll make me. Uh, build my life in the way I want it. But really, it starts with what do you want your life to look like? Because if you don't have any idea, you you have to feed that picture into your reticular activating. So you have to give the RAS what it is that we're going for. So that's the first thing is what's our target? What do we? You know, like the Emerald City, right? That's why I always talk about the Wizard of Oz and the Emerald City. Like Scarecrow, Tin Man, Lion, and Dorothy, they all had different reasons for going to the Emerald City, but they all had they all were going somewhere. Until they had a destination, Scarecrow's just sitting on the side of the road. Tin Man's not moving anywhere, right? Lion's just roaming the forest. None of them were moving towards the Emerald City until they even found out that there was one. And
1: then it was, give me me the yellow brick road. Take me there. Right, and then
2: because of the purpose, right, that's the other thing. You have to have your target and then your purpose, right? Scarecrow wanted a brain. Tin Man wanted a heart. Dorothy wanted to get home. Lion wanted courage. That's the reason they're going. Because on the yellow brick road, there's going to be, like, witches trying to kill you and flying monkeys and bad weather and poppy fields, right? Things that are obstacles that would keep you from going to the Emerald City. So those are the – like, that's the three things. You have to come up with where your Emerald City look like? What's your purpose for going? You have to have an emo, a, a motivational driver, an emotional driver of why we're going to do the hard thing. And, and then you go on your path.
1: Let's right, talk- so – Let's yeah. talk about that emotional driver because yeah. I've have seen that be good and I've seen that be bad.
2: Yeah, that's why you want to build a good one. So the, and we talk about this though, so you could it could the same exact event, emotional event could destroy one person and be the thing that drives the other person right to, takes them to greatness, to great success, great fulfillment and great shameless happiness. And it would be like how could that happen? The same event it's really how you want to respond to it. And I, I deal with this with first responders and uh, with military guys that have – the difference is one goes towards PTSD, post-traumatic stress rate disorder, and the other one goes towards PTG, which is post-traumatic growth. And that's really up to you which path you want to take. Do I want to grow from this or do I want to let this event destroy me? And if you look even at like superheroes, every superhero has like that, that – I call it a desirable difficulty. You wouldn't wish this on anybody. But without Bruce Wayne's dad and mom getting killed outside the theater, he never would be Batman, right? So there's always an emotional driver that, at the deep down. And if you could find it and you could tap into it, it's really like a superpower. You can overcome anything.
1: Well, you make a really good point with the PTSD and, and the the growth um, because it's your choice. Is that is that going to hold you back? Is that going to force you to settle for less? Or re- have a lot of regrets? Or are you going to face it and learn from it? And right, that's and the hard part, you,
2: right? And use it as your rocket fuel.
1: So well, if somebody you know. comes to you and they say, yeah. "You know, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to just look it right in the eye and move through it." What's the first step?
2: Well, my the first thing that, that and you and I have talked about this before, right? The first thing that I do is I. Ask them to build an identity statement, an internal identity, right? So it's kind of like those affirmations. It's our it's the base programming, the base affirmation that I want to give to myself. Like who am I? Who do I want to be? Right? Who do I aspire to be? And how, while I'm on that yellow brick road, how do I want to comport myself? Who you know, how do I want to act and behave and be while I'm on this journey, fulfilling my purpose, going towards my Emerald City. So for me, my identity statement, I do it a very short, pithy. It, you know, I am statement. I am who is. So I am a man of excellence who always keeps his word. I, I aspire to always keep my word and I've decided that I'm going to give a maximum effort in everything I do. I'm not, I don't do things halfway, right? Now because of that, my identity statement and I say I am, I'm a man of excellence who always keeps his word, it literally, everything actually becomes super simple. Every decision and choice is already made for me once I decide that. Because I can't lie to you. Yeah, I can't tell you, all right, I'm going to be on the radio show on July 9th and then not show up, right? I can't tell you, hey, I'll be there at 2.55 and then i don't get there until 3.10. Or, you know, are you following this, right? So this is how every decision is already made. But once you have that program in place of your internal identity of who you are, not the role you play, but who you are throughout life, everything becomes very simple,
1: Well, I think it's for some people that's difficult to do because they define themselves by what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a mom. I have three kids or I'm a neurotherapist, a psychotherapist. Instead of focusing on what is your core?
2: Right, because those are all roles you play. Being a mom is a role you play. You know, being the therapist is a role you play for me, you know whether I'm CEO of my company that's role or as a consultant or a coach, you know, all these things, I, they're just roles. And when they go away, then what, then who are you? Right. So what I want, and listen, all of us, every human being, and this gives me great comfortly, because we're all the same as uh, what I found out been on every inhabited continent except one. See, I, you know, every human has this same issue. We all live three lives we live a secret life we live a private life and we live a public life right so in our public life is like our reputation it's what is what we do what everybody we want everybody to see us it's our self image our private life is how we act behind closed doors with our family those that love us and our secret life is our self esteem it's how we view ourselves and what our thought life is how we think and we talk to ourselves when you get all three of those to match up so that they're the same and congruent Life gets so awesome, right? I don't have to remember, oh, I gotta put, right? I don't have to put on airs, quote, quote, right? To go, to go out somewhere. I, I'm never ashamed of the car I drive, the clothes I wear, the house I live in, and, or how I treat my wife and kids or the server, cause it's the same. And you know, when you get, that's, that's really where peace comes from is when you have your secret life matches up with your private life, matches up with your public life. And that's where we want to go with the identity statement, to get all three of those things. Uh, working together.
1: But you you mentioned self-esteem, and, you know, I've got two graduate degrees, and I've never had a class in (laughs) self-esteem, and that's one of the things that I see with my clients is lacking. It's their self-confidence. It's the emotional resilience that's really lacking. So to build that self-esteem, talk to me. Tell me how we do that.
2: Yeah, so the first here's the, the the baseline level is that the number one fear of all humans and social animals, right? So is uh the fear is rejection. Number one fear is rejection. And conversely the number one fear is acceptance. So that's why we have this public life, private life, secret life, you know, disconnect. Because publicly we're always doing the things that make us accepted by others because we fear rejection. Your self-esteem is comes all the way down to is if you haven't accepted yourself. You're always going to struggle. Now, listen, I'm not perfect. I ain't close to perfect, but I I have accepted myself. And I know this will be a shock to you, Lee, but Andrew loves Andrew. (laughs) But because I do, I can love everybody else.
1: Well, honestly, I believe if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else.
2: I'm with you. You can't give anybody anything you don't have. Like if I didn't have a $100 bill, I couldn't give you a $100 bill. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely.
2: Same thing with love and acceptance. So that's the homework for everybody is to go home, look in the mirror, because this is what we normally look at, right? We look in the mirror and I do the same thing. I see like, man, I'm like 53 now. The hair's getting grayer, right? There's the crow's feet around the eyes. You know, once you look in the mirror, you see all the flaws. That's human nature. So I know if I do it, everybody else does it too. So what we need to do is fight that, look in the mirror and say, I love you. I accept you. Welcome to being human. We all have this stuff. But you know what? I love me for who I am. And listen, I'll work and grow on anything that I can change, anything that I can't.
1: You know what? We all have issues. You know, just get over it. Well, I'm in total agreement there. I think we've all had issues, and I think that's because we've all had trauma in our life to some degree.
2: That's part of being human.
1: If you live, you're going to experience some emotional trauma unless you just crawl into a closet and hide Which is also
2: creating trauma for yourself at another level.
1: Absolutely. That sounds more traumatic to me (laughs) than jumping in. So, you know, I think it's so interesting because every day we have positive and negative events. And research shows that we have three times more positive than we do negative. But what does the brain remember?
2: remembers the negative, and that's emotional learning, which is really – and again, back to the brain, right? When the hormones that I call it the hormone dump – I know we're coming up on a break. Maybe we'll talk about this afterwards. But when you experience that negative, the hormone dump is so much stronger, and then it imprints the memory of it, uh, it so that it's, its it seems like it's bigger than what it is.
1: Well, it does. And I think, you know, you got your left hemisphere, that's your logic and your planning, Mm -hmm. your right hemisphere, that's your emotional. And when you come into that trauma, the frontal lobe shut down. And that means the left hemisphere can't plan it and can't be logical about it. And the right hemisphere can't calm that brain down. So nothing happens. And when nothing happens, that's when we become overwhelmed. We withdraw. We socially isolate. We decide it's just not worth it anymore. So I think keeping, you know, it's all about finding the good. I'll never forget. I've been married for a long time, and we married in September, and we moved to Connecticut in January. And I didn't even have a pair of closed-toed shoes. But we go up there, and, and, oh, it's so cold, and, oh, my gosh, look at all the – there's snow everywhere, and there's ice everywhere, and and blah, 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 blah. Right. Never forget my husband saying, you know what, honey? Why don't you start looking for the good? Right. Because all you're doing is you're looking for the things that you don't like about Connecticut, and that's all you're going to find. Why don't yep. you start looking at, you know, thinking about the good that's associated with Connecticut? That was kind of hard to do in January, but it was such a valid point that I decided that if I'm going to stay warm and happy, I'm going to have to try a little bit of that.
2: Yeah, and let me see Sal's Pizza in Connecticut is really good. It's the best, by the way, oh, in, in the, New Haven.
1: <laughs> I would, got my MBA from the University of New Haven, oh. so... You're right and the Italian food is unbelievable oh, in Canada. so good. So good. You know. Good. And now we now we've got te- Texas and you can't beat the Mexican food. So, good point. You're going to find what you're looking for. Look for the good not for the negative, negative. and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that, you know, because there's different levels of thinking, there's, there's all different things and strategies that you can share with us to give us some insight on simple things that we can do. I mean, so many times I'll make a suggestion to someone, they'll say, well, that's so simple. Well, what's wrong with that? When we come back, I want you to give us a little bit of information about the three-minute drill.
0: We'll be back after these messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life. And the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. It's Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
1: It's words you never heard. Did you know a dentist invented the first electric chair? Just thinking about going to the dentist makes me feel like I'm headed for death row. What's a word for the fear of A dentist odontophobia.
0: Bruxomania is another word for the compulsive grinding of one's teeth. Early toothbrushes were twigs with frayed ends. Toothpaste in a tube was made available to the public in 1892 and was called Dr. Scheffel's Cream Dentifrice. Now Americans buy 14 million gallons of toothpaste every year. In Mexico, the tooth fairy is called the Tooth mouse half of all americans say that a smile is the first thing they notice about a person it's easy to spot a person with
1: a fake smile otherwise known as an exodus i'm carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my
0: free app too funny for words we're back now here's your host
1: So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how do I think about my thinking? And because there's different levels of thinking, and I know a lot of people that I work with, whether you're anxious or depressed, you have a lot of negative thoughts. You've got those little ants, those automatic negative thoughts, and they're so fast and furious that you don't even know they were there. It's just all of a sudden, I'm angry. I'm mad at you. You know, um, it, they're so hard to catch. So you talk about the golf swing of thinking. Talk to us about that.
2: Yeah. So like when I was first married, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. And listen, they'd like to keep you angry all the time because you're a war fighting machine, right? So <laughs> I would come over and talk to my wife. She's like, you're not talking to me like that. I'm not one of your Marines. And because I wanted to stay married to her, <laughs> right, I had to begin to think about how I thought because I. What I was running on this autopilot, and it was really it was just a jungle up there. There was no process to my thinking, so I thought, started looking at thinking like I look at a physical skill, and because I was in the Marine Corps at the time, I started looking at it like marksmanship, like you know either stance and grip and, you know, sight alignment, sight picture. And then when I went to corporate, like, you can't be talking about marksmanship in corporate, it freaks people out. But what I found out that as golf, as my buddies play golf, that's the same as snipers. I used to train snipers and a golfer is the same as a sniper, right? You're putting a little tiny object far, far away in a little tiny target. So I began to use this thing as the golf swing of thinking and think about it like a golfer. There's a process to the swing. There's grip, there's stance, there's the motion of the hips where you you know look where you're putting the ball. So I began to break down my thinking um, according to that. Now critical thinking, the Socratic method is a way to break it down. But you know if you look at the Socratic method, it's like nine steps, which is great for academia or whatever. But in real life, real time on the battlefield, I don't have time to go through nine steps in every thought. Right. So I'm like I'm gonna get, get, get killed if I do this. So I took looked at it and I took the top four. Uh, of those nine steps, that would get me like 95% of the way there. That would give me the biggest bang for my thinking buck, if you will, right? So that's what I came up with. I call it thinking like crap, C-R-A-P. That way we can't forget it. But it's clarity, relevance, accuracy, and precision. So clarity is the first part. The first step is, and I ask myself this question, is what's my target? i got to get very clear. What am I trying to accomplish here? For the golfer, the target is the hope. So then I ask people, you know, is, are the sand traps and the water obstacles relevant? And, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, they're relevant. But no, because that's the R is relevant. The sand traps and the water obstacles, if you say don't hit it in the sand trap, where is it going, Lee?
1: Well, where do you think?
2: Right, in the sand trap, because what we yeah. know about neuroscience, the brain chops the word don't off. If you say don't spill your milk, don't gets chopped off, and the new target is spill your milk. Right. This is kind we a parent's like, don't hit your sister. You're really telling, you know, hit your sister. That's exactly right. So we don't want to say what we don't want. We want to say what we do want. So I have to be clear on what I'm trying to accomplish. And then once that happens, I can identify the obstacles or the sand traps. And those things that are not relevant to getting me to my target, the things that helped me get to my target, I take them off the board. Right. So when my kids were growing up, right, if the oldest one, you know, stayed out too late, You know, and the youngest one was like, well, he didn't get in trouble for breaking curfew. Yeah, like, yeah, you know what? We're not talking about him. We're talking about you. That's not relevant to you coming in on time. I'll deal with him later. Right. So there we go. It's not relevant. Trying to get me into a sand trap. So when you're thinking your thoughts, like just say for somebody who's depressed, you start to say your affirmations, man, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm smart. You know, I'm strong. And then, then the thought comes like, no, you're not. You know what you did yesterday. You know what you did. You know, you know what everybody else said about you. That's not relevant. It's a sand trap. So I'm mm-hmm. going to take those things off the board and get back on target, which is I'm strong. I'm mentally sharp. You know, I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. Right. So that's the first thing is what's my target. And then anything that would get me off target, that's not relevant to me. So I take it off the board. Then accuracy, which we talked about before is facts and truth. Right. I wanna move truths into the fact column where somebody says, you know, I'm hot or it's hot outside. Well, what's the temperature, right? So, and I like to use this example, right? So I was uh, doing a keynote in Chicago and it was like in September. Now I left Greenville, South Carolina where I'm at. And it's 98 degrees and we're cooking every day. I get in Chicago and it's 50 degrees outside. I land there and I say, I'm cold. That's a truth, but the fact is it's 50 degrees outside. For them, it was not cold nor hot. It was comfortable, right? That was their truth. So what I want to do is take truths when somebody says they're a jerk. Well, what are the facts that made you say they're a jerk? Or I'm depressed. What are the facts that say you're depressed? That's really hard. What are the facts that say that's hard? Right? So I want to try and move those facts. And then the P is precision. Once I drill to the fact column, can this fact be more exact? You know, when you say, well, it's, you know, Fifty to sixty degrees. That could it be more exact? Yeah, it's fifty-five. And it, the temp, and it was clear. And the humidity was right. So I'm going to keep drilling down. And when I put my brain on that path, I don't have time to get bogged down in. You're not good for. You're good for nothing. Oh, you know you don't measure up. Oh, you know this is just awful. Oh, the fear, right? It pushes all that at bay because I'm giving my brain something to do that gets me closer to my target. Does that make sense?
1: That makes a lot of sense because, you know, perception is reality. The way, it is. the way that we perceive what's going on around us, that's our reality. That becomes our truth. So yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, and and once I started to practice, now look, you got to practice this. It's just like, you know, I just told it to you, but now you're aware of the process, but that's like, if you went to a 10-minute driver's ed class when you were 16, that doesn't mean you can drive the car. Right? Oh, no. And it could be years before you're an experienced enough driver. You know, like my, my my daughter is 16. She's had her life. She's a great driver, but I'm not letting her get out on the interstate and drive, you know, eight hours to grandma's house by herself. She's not experienced enough, even though, she, you know, she's getting it down it, she's just not experienced enough. So she has to keep practicing her driving before we let her do something like that. So it's the same thing for us with thinking like, you know, crap, like the golf swing of thinking. We have to keep practicing it over and over again. And remember, when you start to drive a car, like it's everything's herky-jerky, right? Because you're trying to squeeze everything into that 126. But don't worry. Stick with it. In a couple of weeks, you'll be like, you know, kicking back and playing with the radio and all that stuff that my teenagers are doing now with the car after like three months.
1: It's amazing how quickly we can figure things out, you know. So what's the biggest challenge that you've seen? Because you've got a, a great background of working under pressure and working with people that are under pressure. Right. What is, what's the hardest to achieve? Is it the clarity? Is it the relevance? I mean, what is it?
2: Everything hinges on the clarity because if you're not clear in what it is exactly that you want – not what you don't want, right? Now, this is this is huge because I coach CEOs, high performers, professional athletes, and like a CEO will say, well, I don't want to get audited. Remember, the brain chops off don't. Yeah. The new target becomes be audited, and you actually take behaviors even outside. It's not even in your conscious, your subconscious. You're actually doing stuff that you don't even consciously want to do that takes you to the new target of be audited. Right. Or a police chief. I don't want this to be on the news. Well, where is it going? It's going to be the on news. the news. Right. Sales. I don't want to lose this million dollar account. No, you got to stop and say what it is that you do want. Stop saying I don't want to be depressed anymore. Well, oh, I don't want to be depressed because then what's the new target that you're saying to yourself is be depressed.
1: Well, you hit it on the head. Oftentimes, I'll ask people, "Well, you know, because I work off of treatment goals. What are your treatment goals? What do you want to get out of this?" Right. and they can—they'll always start off telling me, "Well, I don't want this to continue. I don't want to behave like this." They can articulate those don'ts so quickly, but the do's—it's a bigger struggle.
2: Right, and that's what you have to kind of hold their feet to the fire. That we have to find out exactly what you do want. Because it's, it's going down to the don'ts. It's like gravity, right? It's a downhill slide. It doesn't take any work. It doesn't take any emotional energy. It doesn't take any cognitive energy to actually think what it is you do want. And to make them pause for a minute. What is it that we actually do want to accomplish here? Like I had a client that was like rushing out. He didn't want to be in the he was supposed to be in the hospital because his blood thinners were all screwed up or whatever. And he's he's like that's it. I'm checking out. I'm trying to leave it. And the doctor wouldn't get him to stay. And the you know the wife couldn't get him to stay. And the nurses and everybody in there like they finally you know the wife's like hey could you talk to him? He'll listen to you. So I come down. I'm like hey man. He's all freaked out. I'm like no I'm with you dude. There's no reason for you to be in here. But let me just ask you a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question? He's like yeah go ahead. So what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What is it that you want? He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. Well, do you want to get your, you know, blood work back to normal so you could go back on the golf course? He's like, yeah, that's what I want. I said, then do what the doctors telling you. They know what to do to get it there. Like, why are we? You know, I know you're have. You don't want to. You feel caged and all that. But if we have the target of we want to get back on the golf course, then could you go through this to get to the golf course? He's like, oh, well, yeah. When you put it that way, yeah, I guess I, you know, if I want to get back on the golf course and you know enjoy that, then. I'm like, right, so just suck it up for a couple of days, do your stuff in here, do what they're telling you to do, make the adjustments, and then you can get back to doing what you want. But see, until he get his brain got that clear picture of what it is that he did want, he's just having an emotional reaction
1: absolutely, you know, and a lot of times you just have to reframe what mm. re- th- reframe things, and well, you know you could look at it this way or or how else could you look at it? and right. that's what you were doing with well, what do you want? What do you really want? I mean, if it's, you know, it's not real complex. Do you want to play golf? Well, yeah. Huh?
2: Yeah, I want to get back to the golf course. All right. So let's just do this, and it's the fastest way to get back to the golf course is this. So that's kind of how. And then once you're good at doing this, you know, you can do it for yourself, and you get good at it, then you can help those around you, right? That's what I call pushing out your airspace. But the first thing is get good at influencing yourself. And then you can help those around you be better, and you can kind of, kind of build that bubble around your family and your friends. And then it gets really enjoyable because there's just not any, you know, like the negative energy is just not there anymore.
1: Well, and, and I think that if you take that thinking to the critical level, then you probably are going to have a lot less of those negative thoughts, those little ants running around, more of the positive, and not leave yourself. You know, so many people just leave themselves in auto just whatever, right. just yep. whatever, and there is no whatever figure it no. out, make a decision
2: right. right be be very deliberate about what what kind of thoughts you want to think
1: well every everything you say kind of focuses on what's your target,
2: yeah, and that's really the key that's why I said once you figure out what it is your target is, everything becomes very simple and clear, and that's why clarity is what's my target. Then you can see the sand traps I mean, here's a great question I always ask myself, is this helping me or hurting me like so. I was on. I was doing a speaking tour a couple years ago when my boys. uh one's graduated from college now. The other's a junior, but they were in high school, and they wanted to go to college and get engineering degrees at the Citadel. And so I came. I was gone for a week. My wife's like, "Your boys." Now you know we're in trouble when she says, "Your boys," right? Oh yeah. (laughs) I was like, "Oh, here we go." She goes, "They've been down there with their friends in the basement for the last nine hours playing video games," and so. I was like, all right, I'll yeah, I, was like, I come down. I don't want to yell at them. I haven't seen them in a week, right? So I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? A big hugs and kisses. I'm like, yeah, so what's going on? We talk a little bit. And I noticed that, you know, they have the game on the big screen. We have a 12-foot screen in the basement, in a, like a home theater. They're in there. And I was like, hey, um, your mom said you guys were, uh, you've been down here for the last nine hours. Is that about right? They're like, yes, sir. I said, let me ask you a question. You guys still you know, wanted to get those engineering degrees at the Citadel? And I said, yes, sir. And here's the, here's the relevance. Here's the key, right? So once I established their target, look how easy this is. I just reestablished their target. Are you still wanting to do that? Yes, sir. I still want to do that. Let me ask you, do you think playing Xbox for nine hours on a Saturday, does that help you or is it hurting you from accomplishing your mission and hitting your target? What do you think? You know. And then they just slumped, and they went and turned it off. There wasn't any fighting. No, not right. Because it's your target. It's not mine. Is this helping you or hurting you get to the target? And you already know the answer. So just ask that question, and then you just cut out, declutter your life from anything that would hurt you from getting to your target, and you fill it with things that help you get to your target.
1: That's a really great example of how simple that can be because teenage boys with video games, that could have gone a lot of different ways.
2: Yeah, but, you know. You know, I work at my craft, I got to say. I work at my craft, right, because I don't like having drama in the house. I don't like – see, people are afraid of conflict. I actually love – I crave conflict uh, because conflict – see, people would – like parents and leaders, they'd rather have compliance. But compliance is I'm just going to do what you say right now, that I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing as soon as you're out of eye range or earshot. Right. So that doesn't help them in the future when I'm not there. So what I want to do is expose what are our differences of opinion. Where's the conflict? Now I, some people when they hear conflict they think there's going to be some raging you know fight. Not at all because I'm in complete control of my emotions and I'll lead you down the path. But What we have to do is figure out why we're having this, and then if I can convince you, show you how what I'm saying to you helps you, or you can convince me and I'll change my mind. See that's why this craziness is going on in the country because there's, there's it's not just it's not conflict. It's confrontation. Right? We're just confronting each other. But we're not working out, right? We're not exposing more. To the, no one even wants to hear the differences, right? So that's really what we're talking about: help me or hurt me? And I, I could walk them down the path, and I crave that conflict. I want to know the difference of opinion. I want to know the difference of viewpoint. Mine's not. I'm not saying mine's right, you know. But let's let's think through it. Let's work through it with this thinking like crap model. Let's do some critical thinking, you know. And figured I have one of my uh, partners that. I've, uh, in business, we we almost agree on nothing except we think the exact same way. We both think like this critical thinking matrix, this golf swing of thinking. So we actually uh, love getting. A, I mean, we like we can't wait to get in each other's presence to have the conflict, if you will, so we can you know sharpen each other's walking ourselves down the critical thinking path. Does that make sense?
1: That makes total sense. You know, it makes you bigger and better and stronger.
2: Right, iron sharpening iron, right? So I'm not afraid of somebody who has a different viewpoint of mine. In fact, I crave it. I want to hear it. I, the, the reason that people get upset uh, about these kinds of things is because they haven't vetted their own beliefs. They, they don't know for sure what it is they believe and want.
1: That's an interesting comment. You know, so let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you use the word beliefs, would you use that interchangeable with values?
2: Values, also opinions, is another word of beliefs. Because beliefs, because all all these words have different connotations. But really, all opinions is really my favorite word for it. Because everybody has an opinion, and we don't get kind of you know. But an opinion is a value statement. If you're saying I like that or I don't like that, it is a value statement, right? Or or oh, I think that's expensive or that's cheap. That's a value statement, Uh right? Um, It's also a belief about you. You know, so I. I, I don't know if you read this in the book, right? But I was on, I was uh, protecting the number four, th- the fourth richest guy in the world at the time. I was with him and his wife. I was doing personal protection. And uh, the wife and I went to Manhattan on a shopping trip. And we're in all these, you know, the high end, what is it? But, uh, Bodega Venita. I don't know. Vanita, Bodega. I don't know what the names are, right? It's all stuff that I can't even pronounce. But we're in these high end <laughs> shops where the, the clerk has white gloves on and she's looking for this purse. For a handbag. And we we shopped for six hours for a handbag. And she finally got one. And it was an ostrich skin handbag. And um as she was, you know, paying for it, she looked over her shoulder and she said, Andrew, this is probably somebody's mortgage payment. Now I use this as an example. So it locates where what do you think is your more what is somebody's mortgage payment? A few thousand bucks. T- right. So and that's what I for me, that's what I'm thinking, yeah, right. That's what mine is. No, this was a thirty thousand dollar handbag, in her circles, that is a mortgage payment for somebody thirty thousand a month. Wow! Right. So this is, but this is all. This is what I'm talking about about you know perception and you know, all this other you know. Well, oh my gosh, is relativity like so? We think that that's crazy. I would never spend for that, but. The husband, self made dude, was dro- like, if he dropped a $100 bill, it would cost him money to bend over and pick it up because his empire was making $1,000 per second. So that handbag was like literally 30 seconds worth of work. So it was almost nothing for her.
1: That's a great way to reframe it.
2: Right. So when we do these mental exercises like this, nothing is as bad as it ever seems, and nothing is as great as it ever seems. Right. So I want to stop on the emotional roller coaster, of the highs and the lows, and I want to kind of, you know, even out those curves so I'm more even keeled.
1: Well, you talk about in your book different little drills that people can do. And what I like, you know, they seem very simple and very short. Is there one that you use on an everyday basis with I your clients?
2: Do. My absolute favorite, and listen, I learned to learn this one on the street. Have you ever made a nine one one call or seen one on TV? Yes, when the operator answers the call, how do they answer Good uh,
1: this is a nine one one
2: yeah, please tell me where you are right what's your emergency They're yep. very calm they're not like they're like nine one one what's your emergency they're like the house is on fire. oh my gosh, the house is on <laughs> fire do they ever say they're, they're not freaking out about anything like that are they not they're at all. asking they're calmly asking questions gathering information, right? It's what I call being a first responder instead of an emotional reactor. This drill, if you could channel the 911 operator in your life, it'll change your life forever. The first question you ask yourself is, what's the emergency?
1: That is a great example because we've all seen the 911 call on TV. Maybe we haven't experienced it, but, but we've seen it on TV.
2: They're very calm. And then what if the firefighter got out there and like, oh, my gosh, your house is on fire? I've been out. They're not scared. This is what I told my kids. Listen, if the thunderstorm would happen and they would be get all scared, I'm like, is daddy scared? They're like, no, sir. I'm like, good, then don't be scared. If you see me get scared, then you should get scared. Right. So this is the same thing. I want to channel that with the 911 operator. They come up with a plan of response. I want the first responders. They come. They're not freaking out. They've been trained right to what's my what's my target. Well, my target is to get all the lives safe first and then we will try and save the house. But saving, right? So they have an actual mission, a target, and a list of targets every time that you come out. Every time they come out.
1: Well, you know, what you're doing with that is you've got the autonomic nervous system, and you know when something happens and comes out, us, we go into that fight or flight mode, you know, correct? Not flight sure what to do. Flight. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I love the nine one one because you don't go to that fight or flight mode. You
2: can't. You can't afford it. Our first responders can't do it, right? The 911 operator can't. We would be freaked out if we called 911 and they were freaked out. So we need to channel them. Like you said, we've all seen the call. So this is the one drill I call being a first responder instead of an emotional reactor. Like, so I had one client, like, like she was, called me just freaking out because her son got a 60 in sixth grade on, like, a science test. I'm like, okay, what's your emergency? He got a 60. I'm like, it's, yeah, and? <laughs> right you know why are we she's like she's like hyperventilating but it's a 60 yeah so what i said so what do we need to do to make it to fix it he obviously didn't understand something or he didn't put in the effort but this is not an emergency it's sixth grade his life isn't over because he got a 60 on a test that's not an emergency and then she was okay okay then she calmed down you know and then she should see it right like we could make course corrections but i shouldn't be freaking out and destroying a relationship Because I'm having an emotional reaction to something that really doesn't matter in the big picture.
1: And I see that so many times. It's how you react to things. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times it's that you are in that fight or flight mode or maybe you haven't had enough sleep. Maybe you haven't eaten anything in 24 hours. There's a lot of things that impact how that brain responds. Correct. But the simplest thing, as I'll tell people, is before – you say, or do anything, stop and take three deep breaths.
2: Yeah, it's great advice. I call it the two-minute rule on my thing. But, yeah, it's the same thing. You just want to give yourself some cognitive space before you start reacting.
1: Absolutely. So we've got a few minutes left. And if there's one thing, if there's one takeaway from the book that we haven't touched on, what would that be? Or is there?
2: There's so much stuff in that book. It's uh, I know. I yeah, that's my life's work, you know. I'm not trying to brag on it, but it's uh you should. It's just stuff that I learned, you know, and put into practice. I'm like a Kool-Aid drinker. I actually believe all that stuff. It's not just But I would, you know probably like here's one of the things that and I called it the two minute rule we just said. But so we know this about the brain, that it has to answer a question. It's the original search engine. The answer doesn't have to come out of your mouth, but it does have to search for the answer. Like so if i asked you don't think of this information Lee, what city are you in stop it what's two plus two stop trying to find the answer right so the brain automatically goes so what i want to do is ask myself really a great question and whenever i find something that seems impossible like man that's impossible this isn't going to work i want to do the two-minute rule and the two-minute rule is to ask myself let's say listen i know this is impossible i'm not arguing that it's not possible but if it were possible i'm going to ask myself how would i do it and if i can ask my brain how would i do it what it does is it it reroutes the neurons, the firing, which they've already you know, done this in, brain, in imaging, brain imaging tests, that it reroutes the, from the amygdala and goes back to the prefrontal cortex. When you ask yourself that question, it turn, turns off fight or flight and moves us back into our higher executive functions when you ask yourself, well, how would I do it? I'm not saying it's, it is impossible, but if it is possible, how would I do it? And it immediately changes everything. And now your brain comes up with five solutions that two minutes ago you said was completely impossible. Now we have five options that could get us across the finish line. So I guess the two-minute rule and how would I do it is probably one of the biggest things um, that I'm proud of, I guess, of the work that I've done in that book.
1: Well, and it sounds like you're just giving yourself permission. So what if you could do that?
2: Yeah. What if we? Could, not, yeah, I know it's just fantasy. Just play along. I mean, just you know, humor me. If we could do it, what do you think? How do you think we would do it?
1: Just roll with me. Well, you have done a great job of rolling with me today, and I have enjoyed having you on the show so much, and I've I, I've learned so much just reading your book, and it's kind of helped me to broaden my approach to how I work with my clients. If people want to learn more about you, or if they want to reach out to you. Are you everywhere? Where
2: are you? I am everywhere. So I'm, my, my website is getwarriortuff.com, so you can get me there. I'm on the LinkedIn, Andrew Whitman, Ph.D. I'm on the Twitters, Warrior Tough, Ph.D., Instagram, Warrior Tough, Ph.D. I'm on Facebook at uh, Facebook slash uh, Get Warrior Tough. Um, yeah, and there's no fence around me. I, I respond to my emails, my phone calls, my texts. It might not be in the first 24 hours, but I will, you know, I'll get to you. I promise. I won't leave you hanging.
1: Well, then that leaves me with three words. All you got to remember is warrior, tough, PhD. Right? <laughs> that's it. That's great. That's easy enough to find. You know, you you've had a great background, and to take it, you should be very proud of this book. To take it, and to summarize it and put it in a context that so many other people can use, that's a gift. That truly is a gift, and I am so thankful that you shared that gift with me, and. Do you have any? You have another book coming out?
2: Well, the second book it's already out. It's the uh, Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents. Um, it's wow. how to navigate the stress of parenthood. Um, that one's already out. That's even more in depth. I'm more proud of that book because the writing is actually better. I hired a writing coach, uh, you know, and, uh, so that book is out. It's on Amazon too. It was a number one bestseller for like a uh, about six months.
1: Oh, I'm so glad we got to mention that before we closed. Again, what was the name of that?
2: Uh, Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents.
1: And in times like these, do you know any parents that couldn't benefit from that? Because I certainly don't. I'm not. I don't, my kids are gone, and I think I should read it. Andrew, thank you so much Thanks for, for everything me. that you've given us today.
2: Thank you.
0: of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify,